Welcome to Rehoboth, and welcome to Hope Fellowship, and welcome to all those as Pastor Henry had invited in to this service here on this Sunday. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Brian Bilesma. I'm the executive pastor at Hope Fellowship Church, and it's a privilege for me to be able to bring you God's Word today. You know, one of the things that sort of um, always has defined who I was is I believe that we are better together than we are separated. So I look at this as one church, multiple locations. We are one church of God under the umbrella of the Christian Reformed Church of North America, and we are multiple locations in Durham. We are also one church under an umbrella of God that calls us to the greater church of God, and that's the church that we celebrate. That's the church that we worship in, and we celebrate a good God that brings us here together. And so uh, I am just thrilled to be able to bring you God's word today. Uh, For those of you that may uh, not know at Hope Fellowship, I'm sure everybody from Hope Fellowship that's listening will know that uh, we are in the middle of a summer series that started out with a thought, hey, what if we asked everybody who was bringing God's Word to, to a Sunday, what if, what if they shared their favorite Bible story? And that favorite Bible story theme became, I love to tell the story. And we should love to tell the story. We should love to tell the story of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We should love to share the gospel. And so as I started giving thought to that, I went, as a little kid, what was my favorite story? I'm sure we all have one as a little child. You know, we might like the story of Moses. We might like the story of David and Goliath. And I love David and Goliath. And I'll be preaching on that later on in August. But I remember as a little kid distinctly, my favorite story was the story of Samson. I love the imagery of Samson. I love this idea that God would would embed in somebody this strength that was supernatural and that he would free his people from the oppression of the Philistines. I love that. Now, I get as a little kid, the story that I heard was a watered-down version of that story, and the story in the Bible is a lot more graphic. In, In fact, much of the Old Testament, as we look at God and his journey with his people, There's a lot of graphicness that we would not want our kids to know, which is why we water it down and we share the redemptive element of the stories of the Old Testament and the story of the Bible. But that doesn't mean in a story where there is so much brokenness in a person like Samson that there isn't a redemptive element. And so I went out before I started and I asked a whole bunch of people. I said, if I say the word Samson to you, the biblical character of Samson... What comes to your mind? And people said strength, supernatural strength. And and other people said saved Israel from the Philistines. And other people said, I'm not sure that there's much good that can come out of that. Now, as a Christian, I was always raised to believe that everything in this book, everything in this book has a redemptive value. Everything in this book has a redemptive value. Sometimes we just need to peel back the layers. We need to strip things away to, to try and find it. And that's what we're going to try to do today. You know, if you think the story of Samson is one of chaos and a broken person and a guy who falls into temptation, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. But I believe the Word of God always has a redemptive element. Reformed theology tells us that our Lord Jesus Christ reigns over every square inch of creation. Thank you, Abraham Kuypers. And he does. He even reigns over our brokenness. So I embarked on this message and set out to find hope in the middle of what many may feel is chaos. Redemption in the middle of character flaws. 
I set out to find the very reason why Jesus Christ was sent here. For you and for me. Because all of us, you and me, all of us, the we, are why Jesus came. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. And so I would invite you, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to read the story of Samson. Now it's found in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. So I hope you brought lunch because we'll be here for a while. Um, but I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to read a little bit from the beginning. I'm going to summarize the middle, and then I'm going to read the end because there's nuggets at the beginning. I call them bookends in this message. There's a bookend at the front, and there's a bookend at the end that I think restores the whole story, and it's something that we can learn from. So before we open up God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, for, thank you for bringing us here together. Thank you for those people from Rehoboth and from Hope Fellowship that are here in the building with us, and for all those people that are from Hope Fellowship and, and Rehoboth and all those people that may be joining us from other churches, or Lord, maybe there are people here that aren't part of a church. And so we pray that as we open up your word, your word would resonate in our hearts. Lord, that the words that you have put on my heart that come out of my lips are translated in the air between my lips and the ears that are meant to hear so that your word would reign supreme. Lord, you are sovereign. Lord, you are good. Be in this place this morning. Amen. So I invite you to turn with me to Judges. It's in one of the first books in the uh, Old Testament. Um, and we're going to start at chapter 13. And in my Bible, it says the birth of Samson. And it starts like this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we've got to pay attention to the again, because this is something that happens over and over and over. So the author starts out with, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless and unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything that's unclean. You will become pregnant and you'll have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead and deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now this was the angel of the Lord that appeared to Manoah's wife. And Manoah, I think, had a few questions. And so he asked God for this angel to come back again. And so he did. And the angel went through all the rules and regulations again this time. And they figured it out. And then if we move to verse 24 and 25, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And then we'll move to chapter 14, verses 1 and 4, and it goes like this. Samson, now a grown man, went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Like, that's how it happens. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our peoples? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. What his parents didn't know was that the Lord was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines 
for at that time they were ruling over Israel. And then we get into these next few chapters, and this is where a lot of people focus on Samson and his unbelievable strength and his unbelievable brokenness. He has all these encounters. When he's going down to pick up his wife in Timnah, he comes across a lion, and he kills the lion. We know, most of us know that story. Later on, uh, B made honey in the lion's carcass, and he shared that with his family. He was married and betrayed by his wife, so he left. He was given 30 companions who betrayed him as well. His father-in-law later, when he went to pick up his wife, betrayed him as well and had given his wife to his best man, if it was in today's vernacular. And then he fell in love. He had an episode with a woman who was participating in a form of employment that's been around forever. Um, And then he got angry after that and he tore the city gates off. And then he fell in love with Delilah. He had situations where he was faced to make a decision about a god named Dagon. And in the grand finale, he had an encounter with the Philistines. And all through this, what we read is a broken man. Blessed by God, but broken and tempted. And so then we move to the end of our story, chapter, chapter 16, verse 23, and it says, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered us, delivered us, Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. You see, they had taken him captive. Delilah betrayed him and shaved his head, and he lost his strength out of disobedience to God. And he had his eyes gouged out. And the Philistines decided to party. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood, among the, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. He said, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two pillars on which the temple stood, braced himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his family came and got him, and he led Israel for 20 years. In much the same way that I read four chapters in Scripture and I focused on the beginning and the end, I would like to primarily focus on two verses that bookend this story. The one comes with the encounter of the angel. When the angel came to Samson's mother before he was born and said about Samson, he, Samson, will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. It's a promise that God has to deliver his people 
back to free them from the oppression of the Philistines. And second, the second one comes at the very end when Samson, after he had given up, when he had given up and he lost his eyes and he was basically a slave to the Philistines, he prayed. He sought repentance and he prayed, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please strengthen me just this once more. The first book end is God's promise to deliver or free his people through this child, Samson. The second is God's servant repenting in obedience and completing his part of the mission. The narrative we find between these two bookends point out the damage that can happen when we disobey, when we lack judgment, when we lack self-control, when the thorns get in the soil that God is trying to create beauty out of with us. There's lessons in this book of Judges as well. The book of Judges is often misrepresented, primarily because today in the English interpretation, the way we interpret judges are as adjudicators, a person who judges another person for the acts that they have done. Society in Hollywood don't help out at all. The imagery in our minds are all about things like law and order and cop shows and cop movies. A deeper dive into the meaning, intent in the spirit of the book of Judges reveals something very different. The original Hebrew title of the book was Shofitim, Shofitim, which meant a group of people God raised up to save or deliver his people from the hands of raiders, oppression, the ungodly influences of the world around us, persecution, and spurring them on towards living more godly lives. However, the people wouldn't listen. They would not listen to these saviors or these deliverers. Instead, they continued to drift away, to fall farther away from God, prostituting or giving themselves over to the other gods of the world and worshiping them. Like that of the prophets generations later, the judges had a cycle that they went through, and this is evident in the book of Judges. It goes something like this. There's eight steps to it. Israel does evil in the the eyes of God. God sells or gives them over into the hands of oppressors. Israel serves the oppressors for X number of years. Israel finally cries out. God raises up a deliverer or a judge. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon that deliverer, and the oppressor is subdued, and the land and the people have rest for X number of years. And that cycle continues, and that cycle continues, and that cycle continues. In essence, God's people were disobedient, And among other failures, disobeying the command, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, the sin of idolatry. There's a theme in all of this. You know, you've heard the phrase, we are in the world, but not of the world. It's a battle sort of thing that constantly goes on within us. Samson himself was wrought with worldly, personal, and interpersonal idolatry in much the same way each of us is. He may not have bowed down to the Philistinian god Dagon, but our text does inform us of some battles he did wrestle with. Some include pride, selfishness, sensuality, lust, and self-control lived out in his life, or a lack of self-control lived out in his life as we see anger and a vengeful spirit play out throughout the text. Now, I get the other judges When you read the book of Judges, I get them. They make sense to me. They're people that appear to be pure in heart and good and have a really compassionate soul for the people that want to lead people and draw them back to God. What still doesn't make, what still takes me time to unpack is the role of Samson in all of this. 
As a kid, this was my favorite Bible story. Samson was like a superhero. But as I got older and I read the story, I realized there was more to it. Samson had issues. Like Tony Stark in Iron Man, he had internal battles going on. Like Superman, he had his kryptonite, except it was women. More often than not, his weaknesses overshadowed the strengths that God had embedded into him. This story was made for Hollywood. And we can find ourselves smack dab in the middle of this story. We find ourselves in the in-between of the two texts. As we unpack the story of Samson, we, get lost in, we can get lost in the judging of his life, his failures. Sure we can. Or maybe, maybe we get caught judging the cultural norms of a thousand years before Christ through the lens of the cultural norms of 2021. Maybe we do that. And Samson was guilty of some of those crimes. But Samson also lived in a time before Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And do not resist an evil person and turn the other cheek, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you. He lived before Christ came. He lived in a time between, an era between, or after an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, where the Levitical law says, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And the reason for that is because prior to that era, aggression escalated. So if you said something bad to me, I would punch you. If I punched you, you would stab me. Where am I here? If you stabbed me, I would do something worse to you. And there was this escalation. So the Levitical law comes in to suppress that and says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is similar to Hammurabi's code in the 18th century during the Mesopotamian Empire. Or the Greek word lex talionis, the punishment must meet the crime. What it did was stop the escalation. So Samson lived in that middle era. So his sin was, he was escalating his revenge. That was his sin. But it was normal in that time because the law allowed you to get even without escalating. We live in a time where we are called to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us. So we can't judge Samson through the lens of what we now know. And yet so often we do. This is what the Bible would refer to, our scholars would refer to a redemptive movement. Redemption is built into the grace that we receive, and Samson received grace from God. You know, you may be sitting here and go, none of that makes sense to me, but I'm afraid of the person in the mirror. I'm afraid of all that is the person in the mirror. So it makes it easier for us to judge someone like Samson because we are afraid to look at ourselves in the mirror. But there's hope. But there's hope. We should never lose sight of the bookends that surround the in-between. God promises a deliverer. And he delivered. Samson. And a repentant heart reactivated the spirit that fell on him. It was never too late for Samson. Just before he died, he sought forgiveness. Sovereign Lord, remember me, he said. In this moment, Samson received grace. The same grace that's available to all of us. Samson's hair wasn't the power center of his strength, nor was the fact that he didn't eat or drink of the vine. No, each of these laws and rules are given by God. They represent obedience. They represent obedience to God. 
In obedience, the Spirit fell on him. When you read the in-between text, in obedience, the Spirit fell on him. In obedience, he gained great strength. And like Israel, when obedience was replaced with disobedience, when other gods replaced the Lord God, the Spirit no longer fell on him. And he became like any other man. He no longer gained access to his supernatural power source. Was Samson self-centered? Absolutely. Are we? Absolutely. Was Samson disobedient? Absolutely. Are we? Absolutely. Samson married a a Philistine woman, which was frowned upon, and yet God used it for his good. In the end, like the prisoner on the cross, Samson asked God to remember him. And God did. Samson experienced both sides of the obedience-disobedience coin, as do we. Samson's disobedience didn't stop God's redemptive plan for Israel, and it won't stop his redemptive plan for us or the world. God's redemptive plan leads to and through Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer, who heals all of our brokenness and provides us with a love and a peace that surpasses even our deepest comprehension. You know, as our story wraps up, in the end it appeared the Philistines were going to win, didn't it? And there are days in each of our lives that it feels like darkness is overcoming light. It does. Some days it feels like we are just losing the battles that we face and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. But there is hope. There is hope because the superhero in this story isn't Samson. Never was. He was an instrument from God. The one and only true God had promised to deliver his people from the hands of the Philistines. That's the first bookend. And he, God, never goes back on his promises, ever. He remembered his promise to his people. He remembered his promise to Samson's parents. He remembered his promise to Samson. And a repentant heart turned back to God, asking for his gift back, his strength back, just one more time. In that moment, God once again delivered on his promise. The sacrifice of Samson meant the freedom of God's people. That's the redemptive story. Beyond a life of strengths being overshadowed by weaknesses, beyond faithfulness being overplayed by pride, ego, and revenge, God still used Samson to deliver his people. Folks, if there's anything that you take away from this message, take this. God's purpose always trumps our frailty. God's purpose in your life always trumps your frailty. God's purpose in my life always trumps my frailty. Samson had tremendous gifts that God planned for him before he was born and wove into him For his God's purposes, God built into Samson great strength in order that he might free God's people, Israel, from the oppression of the Philistines. Samson's shadow mission, and we all have them, were his weaknesses. And they won the earthly battle inside him more often than not. But we are no different. We all face our doubts. We all have fears. We all have insecurities. We all face the not-worthinesses in our own lives. 
And when our spirit drifts into season of disobedience, we begin to lose our tether to the power of the Holy Spirit. And like Samson, we lose our strength and drift to become like everybody else. But, but, when we live in obedience to God, the Spirit falls on us, the same Spirit that fell on Samson, to allow him to complete unbelievable acts of strength. That same Spirit falls on you and on me. So let me ask you a question. How bad do you think the things you have done are in the sight of God? How bad do you think the things that you have done are in the sight of God? Do you feel guilt? What about shame? What about remorse? Do you have moments of disappointment? Let me ask you another question. Do all these things limit your ability to receive the love of God through Jesus Christ? Do they? Are they a stumbling block? Gang, all of scriptures from the beginning to the end of this point to Christ. Even after the four gospel messages, everything past that points back to Christ and his second coming. This book is about a deliverer. Our text, that deliverer, the judge, the Shofitim, in this case is Samson. There were others. There were prophets later on that called people, God's people back to him. But all of Scripture points back to Christ. So that must be our focus. So let me ask this question again. Do all the things, the, those things that I mentioned, the remorse, disappointment, shame, guilt, Limit your ability to receive the love through Jesus Christ that you need. If so, please, please, please hear this. You and I, you and I cannot outsin God's love for us. We can't. You can try, but you will not outsin God's love for you. You can't, you can't out shortcomings God's purposes for you. You can't. In our humanness and all that it is, God meets us. In our frailty, God supports us. And in our uncertainty, God loves us. Let me explain what I mean. If you have a relationship with God, and I pray that all of you do, if you have a relationship with God, and believe in all that Jesus did for you, then there is nothing you can do that will exceed God's love for you or separate him from you. I said that right. There's nothing you can do that will separate God's love for you. God is never separated from you once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can separate yourself from God, but God will never separate himself from you. That's part of the hope. That's part of the grace that we receive. God will always remember you as he did Samson. In your love for him and obedience to him, God will strengthen you that one more time. And then that one more time. And then that one more time. And then that one more time. And he'll strengthen you and that one more time. And there's no end to the one more times that God will strengthen you 
and call you home. Every day, we face battles around us. Every day, we face battles within us. These are the pressures of the world. You know, in Romans 12, too, the Apostle Paul challenges us to not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Guys, we are agents of transformation in a broken world. Our lives, we become transformed to be salt and light, to be part of those that are called out, the ecclesia. We are called out people to join Christ on mission, to be agents of transformation in a broken world. The world isn't supposed to transform us. We are supposed to transform the world. Paul said it bang on in Romans 12. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Do we do that? How do we do that? What do we do? Well, that's part of life's journey. Amanda talked about it earlier. Through prayer and petition and opening up God's word, our lives become transformed and our brains, our minds become fed with the transformative words of God, the instructions of God, and it changes who we are. It transforms us to be salt and light. In you, through you, and with you, God will fulfill his purposes. Together, brothers and sisters of Rehoboth, of Hope Fellowship, or whatever church it is that you're, you belong to, or maybe you don't belong to a church, and you've heard a message here, I would encourage you to find somebody who is a follower of Christ and pray with them. Pray with them. Ask them to pray for you and to help you understand the saving grace that you receive when you say yes to Jesus Christ, because it'll change your life. Together, the church Together, we, Rehoboth, Hope, Maranatha, Discovery, Zion, Hebron, and on and on and on. That's just the Christian Reformed Church. And then there's other denominations and other churches. The Word of God is alive and good in the hearts of God's people. We are the light of the world. A city on a hill. And nothing can stand against what God has in store for us. Through the power that we receive from the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that fell on Samson will fall on you. Amen. Let me pray and I'll invite the praise team up. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that you've given us together. Lord, I pray the words that you have put on my heart resonate in the hearts and the souls of your people, whether here, present, or those that are taking this in online today or maybe later this week, Lord, we pray that you would bless them, that you would keep them. Father, we pray that your words would be anchored into soil that receives them and nurtures those words to be transformative in our lives. Lord, we pray these things in your gracious Son's name. Amen.